Hello and welcome to the Songs of Emily Rose podcast. My name is Emily Rose Simons and every month I will first draft onto the internet three songs and a bit of spiel wrapped in a rough and not quite ready podcast. So, update your Goodreads, slip a bookmark into your guilty pleasure, organise your unread book collection by colour or whatever you like to do as you listen to the Songs of Emily Rose podcast episode 6. The theme for this episode is books. Okay, I'm torn. I feel I have to say, I mean, I feel everyone has to say, I love reading or I love books, because if you don't, you're obviously a a Philistine. I do this myself. I went on a few dates with someone who worked for the British Library until they confessed they didn't actually read. I mean, they could read, they weren't illiterate, but... It wasn't something that they chose to do. It wasn't something that was part of their life. Potentially they were just being honest. How many of us say we read or do yoga or love cooking, but our fridges are empty aside from some ready meals? Our yoga mats are either in the original packaging or covered in literal cobwebs? And that growing stack of books on the bedside table is kept warm by a blanket of undisturbed dust. And I'm not completely delusional, or maybe I am. I understand that occasionally people have to poop. But I would be horrified if I went on a date with someone and they confess it was a major part of their life. But that might be something that is judgmental and, dare I say, snobbish from myself. And something that I should take a moment to really interrogate. I mean, if I'm honest... As a child and teenager, I didn't necessarily love books. I mean, every now and again, I'd stumble upon a book and addictively scoff the pages into my psyche and that would take over my, completely take over my everything. In fact, I loved reading The Princess Diaries or Noel Streetfield's Ballet Shoes series so much that I would read them in the car, despite the inevitable car sickness nausea that followed occasionally onto the back seat of the Nissan Micra. And, aside from the beloved addictive books of childhood, in a lot of people's formative years, or at least in my formative years, regardless of one's level of, a, level of devotion to anything bound between the front and back covers, books were our ticket. Time plus books equals a future. And I would put my back association school backpack to the brink of exhaustion every day carrying almost every textbook music book and attempted hefty novel with me everywhere lunch times were merely opportunities to stare at sheet music in the music department or do my homework in the library or fill my brain with some other information so that i would be fully prepared for when i or if i um well i don't know really and i definitely didn't know then. I guess for those of us who felt that childhood and adolescence were merely a series of cruel waiting rooms, books were more than just a pleasant way for time to pass or something we loved or something we enjoyed. Books were a necessary means to an end. The stories of adults making choices, having stakes and freedom would allow us to imagine and plan for the lives we wanted to be living, the lives we hoped to build as soon as we had the chance. 
To the outside world, children like me seemed excruciatingly boring, but as far as I was concerned, I was investing my time into a life that was far more far more exciting than anything that could occur before the age of 18. Rebecca and Lily is a musical about the school bully and the bookish nerd bumping into each other in the waiting room of a family planning clinic. The song you are about to hear is called In My Books and it's from the bookish character of Rebecca, pretty much explaining what brings her to that waiting room. The substitute was handing out worksheets the back row was vaping weed. That was the only class to mention the types of contraception a GCSE top mark would need. So I was fully aware the very next month when there was a crash on the B38. Sam's mum gives me a lift and he said it was a gift that his mum would be half an hour late. And even though I knew there'd be a chance I'd conceive. It was the most exciting 23 minutes I could ever believe. Suddenly I was beyond hypothetical. Suddenly my life was not so theoretical. Suddenly my story's more exciting than it looks. I was living the lives I read in my books. The head of you was taking assembly. The naughty boys were taking the mick My tummy started churning, the back of my throat was burning And the girl in front was covered in my sick The nurse said it was something I'd eaten I eat a lot so it's fair to assume But as logical as I am, I knew it must be Sam And I was googling family planning as I walked out that room And even though first abortion is not something I want to achieve this is yet the most exciting thing I could ever believe Cause right now I'm beyond hypothetical Right now my life is not so theoretical Right now my story's more exciting than it looks I'm living the lives I read in my books I could have decided to further my exciting story I could have turned this episode into a full-blown allegory Pushing a baby out of my vagina would be bloody and thrilling and bold But considering my professional and financial and societal intricately scheduled ambitions I've calculated I should wait until I'm 29 and 3 quarters old Plus, there's something quite pleasing about the hypothetical. Something rather comforting about a life that's theoretical. For a while, my story will be just as boring as it looks. One day I will live those lives. But until I can live those lives, I will only know those lives in my books. That was In My Books from the musical Rebecca and Lily. And if you would like to add this song to your repertoire, please do. The music is now available on newukmusicals.co.uk. As an adult, I don't feel I can truly identify as someone who loves books. Can you tell? 
Like most Londoners, my avid reading habit is very much fueled by the desperation to avoid eye contact with fellow commuters on the tube. Then again, I rarely read books on the subway in New York. Get too engrossed in a book there and you won't notice the escaped penis to your left, or the debate on your right that suddenly escalated to a full physical brawl, or all those passengers scurrying down the carriage past you until you notice that smell of urine has greatly and very suddenly surpassed its usual underlying levels. If I wanted to be antagonistic, I'd say that books are just one form of of storytelling. I enjoy musicals, theatre, film, TV series, and listening to my friends tell me about their lives. And podcasts as well, indeed. And also, I can enjoy books. I can make time for reading outside my regular Northern Line yo-yoing if I feel particularly engrossed in a chapter. But to say that books are of a higher nature than all other forms of storytelling, well... Maybe that is the snobbery and nothing more. But when a book is good, like really good, I can feel the characters are right next to me. I can be reading on an almost empty or entirely full tube carriage and feel like Eleanor Oliphant is on the other side of the armrest. Maybe it's because we build the characters and the worlds inside our own minds. Maybe because reading is pretty much the most private way to ingest a story. Maybe because I'm such a slow reader that I tend to spend months becoming acquainted with the characters and narrators, so I become very attached to them. They become my family and my friends, my colleagues and associates. I mourn a little as I reach the final sentence. I stare at that full stop with rivers of emotions meandering through me. I look up and the sound of the tube carriage or the silence of my apartment or the gentle hustle of wherever I am slams into me and I realise I am not flanked by fellow audience members to make knowing eye contact with or to overhear and compare their quick takes of the evening's offerings with my own. I'm not going down to the pub with whoever I was watching, whatever happened with. I am the only person who has gone through this journey at this time, finishing at this very moment. And I am entirely alone. The next song is from The Funeral Lady, a show about a woman who takes on the job of organising funerals for those who die without friends or family. She starts doing this after experiencing being the only person at her mother's funeral. After her mother's funeral, the officiant pops over to check on her in case she feels she's lonely. She responds that she has a house filled with books. So how could she ever feel such a thing? There's hundreds of people in this house, Mum would say. Telling stories, conjuring others, sick and orphans, Dickensian mothers. To keep you company, or to keep you sane, if you feel lonely, or if you miss them. 
turn back to the first page and read it all again. Hundreds of people in this house, she'd say, spreading wisdom, befriending readers, reclusive hermits, military leaders, to describe adventures and treacherous fights, so you can keep safe from harmful people on dark and scary nights. Mum would say what makes a good book an exciting tale which for people like us would almost certainly stupendously fail what makes you turn a page are questions of pain and sin but what truly makes a good book is a safe home to read your good book And now, now she's gone. There's still hundreds of people in this house. They're locked in pages, caged in covers, mournful children, unrequited lovers. All their endings are written. Each chapter is an archive. A story that is finished and gathering dust between creaking shelves and hinges of rust. There are hundreds of people in this house, but only one of us is alive. There are hundreds of people in this house, but only one of us is alive. That was Hundreds of People from The Funeral Lady, which is also available on newukmusicals.co.uk. Last year, my father, brother and I cleared out my grandma's house after her passing at the end of 2019. It was a home that housed the centre of the universe for our large international and intergenerational family. And by centre of the universe, I of course mean my grandmother. And yes, food was very much represented in the house. The many dining sets and cookware, enormous pots and a fantastic collection of ladles, etc, etc. But in the hallway there was a bookcase of which some variation is found in many Jewish homes. Shelves of prayer books. Not as extensive or flashy as you might find at a rabbi's or the ultra-religious. Here were the prayer books through many decades. Quite a few falling apart and destined for burial, some holding on for dear life. One prayer book held a prayer for the Tsar, a book with mileage that would reflect the journey of my family from Romania to the East End and through the Great Northern Migration to Finchley. Prayer books holding names of known and unknown people, maybe left behind from the many meals and gatherings that orbited our glorious universal centre. And behind those rows of austere and respectable prayer books was a collection of books owned by my great-grandma Sarah, beloved mother-in-law to our centre of the universe. 
She was a woman of the East End with a Cockney accent and a robust drinking habit, and she was extremely selective in her choice of reading material, refusing to continue with any volume she decried as too dry, which basically meant not enough raunch and sex. Dear listeners, please imagine my father delicately packing away holy prayer books to find a lively collection of smutty novels from the 1960s, complete with colourful covers packed with busty naked women. But also in that heaving bookcase were my grandma's more wholesome collection of romances, such as a book about air hostesses called Coffee, Tea or Me, as well as some early feminist literature gifted to her by various family members in the 1970s and 80s. My grandma loved reading and spoke with such fondness of evenings at the children's home she grew up in when they would take turns reading books aloud to each other and we even found a gift of children's stories she received at that home. A few weeks ago, I finally assembled my books on a bookcase that my family decided to rescue from the house that now holds someone else's centre of the universe. After months at the Restorers, it now holds a collection of books that includes my great-grandma Sarah's Smut, alongside my beloved copies of Sex and the City, Bridget Jones's Diaries and Secret Diary of a London Cool Girl. My grandma's Coffee, Tea or Me sits alongside my copies of Happiness for Humans, uh, Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine and Disobedience. My green children's siddur gifted to me by Rabbi Plancy at Cheda sits alongside a copy of the prayer books my grandparents gifted Kinloss Synagogue for their silver wedding anniversary. The words in a book tell a narrative. A collection of books show an identity and each book holds a history growing richer with every secret. Sometimes the greatest story a book holds is not the one printed on its pages, and the reason you may love a book is not for the efforts of the author, but for the words scrawled out in Biro by someone you love or, so, or by someone who loved them. Soon it will be time for many families to bring out the strange groupings of Haggadahs, books used year in, year out to take turns reading aloud the story of the exodus from Egypt at the Passover Seder. These books will be strange and potentially mouldy and filled with crumbs and uh, wine and gravy stains. And also potentially for many people like myself, it will be the first time in a couple of years that we get to use them after a couple of years mainly being on Zoom. So it is the perfect time to play you a recording of The Meaning of Passover. The story of Passover is told in wine stains. The story of Passover is told in matzah crumbs and tiny rips and grape juice drips from way back when. The story of Passover is told in contradiction And lots of books with contrasting translations And confusion over pages And arguments over sages made again And again It passes on It passes on Through all the generations Through books and variations It passes on 
And that's the story of Passover to me. The story of Exodus probably never happened And reading round the table feels like it never ends It's erroneous and outdated, odd and antiquated And awkward with Egyptian friends The story of Passover is told with family Or cousins you don't know or their friends from some bar If raced through in an hour, it still won't lose its power Even if your home is far, it passes on It passes on Through all the generations, through books and variations It passes on And that's the story of Passover to me The story of Passover is told in oranges and creating traditions because your parents aren't there and picking and choosing, gaining more than you are losing and practicing your Hebrew. The story of Passover is told in memories and tears that flow at inconvenient times and LR planes or New Jersey trains to Seder plates shiny and new it passes. It passes on And that's the story of Passover to me My story of Passover began in the East End then spread over the world as our family grew to beside our grandma's bed then zoom calls instead and a cacophony of dianu it passes on it passes on through all the generations, through books and variations, it passes on. And that's the story of Passover. That's the story of Passover. That's the story of Passover. That was The Meaning of Passover, originally written as an assignment for William Finn's lyric writing class on the Graduate Musical Theatre Writing Programme at NYU. In fact, the assignment was to write a song about books.
And if you have enjoyed this podcast, you will definitely enjoy Delhi Seagal's play Pickle at the Park Theatre in the first week of May, which I am the sound designer for. And you can, of course, be notified of the next episode if you can follow me on Spotify, Instagram or even Twitter. And you can now find the lyrics of all the songs in the podcast series on my website, www.songsofemilyrose.com. Until next time, happy Pesach, happy Easter, happy right of spring. And thank you for listening. I have been Emily Rose Simons and this has been Songs of Emily Rose podcast, episode six.